Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. We'll get into this right away. We're starting a new series today, and uh, it's a brand new series. We're calling it Attacking God, Attacking God. And, and the, the graphics for this were so intentional. I hope you, you'll start to see this after a while. But one of the questions that we're really asking is, did you really walk away from God? Did I press that? No. Uh, the, the question really is, did you really walk away from God? And, and, and what we, we're seeing is something that's very interesting going on in the country, and we'll get into that. But, but you're going to see something that's been just very, very interesting here. The overall question that we've asked forever and ever is, who needs God? Who needs God? And people all over the world have asked that question, who needs God, who needs God? And the reason I'm differentiating is because today, currently in the culture, there's a, there's a whole different question that's being asked. It's really a very different question, believe it or not. And the question is this, who needs religion? The question has become, believe it or not, just who needs religion, religion in general, religion abroad, just religion just across the board, who really needs that. Um, we'll, we'll study this a little bit more, and just so you know, this is just a, a one-off series, and the way that I've grown up and the way that I grew up in the church and the way that I've always taught is we get in the Bible books. And we teach through a book, and I think there's great value in that. And sometimes I have to remind myself that nowhere in the Scripture do we see Jesus ever sit down and preach through the book of Isaiah or teach through the book of Daniel. And so we'll be talking about all from the Bible again, but it's just a one-off, and then we'll go back. But what we're seeing in the country right now is people are really asking the question, who needs religion? Uh, There's a a, a group of men, and they call themselves the New Atheists. And it's very interesting. They're brilliant thinkers. They're very intelligent men. It's guys like uh, Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and uh, a guy named Christopher Hitchens. And there's a fourth one who called, uh, his name is Daniel Dennett. And and they've kind of coined the phrase they've called themselves. You know, we were talking about this, the the four horsemen. And right after 9-11, right after 9-11 happened, one of those men, Sam Harris, wrote a book and it was called The End of Faith. And his subtitle is Religion, Terror, and the Future of Reason. It's very interesting. He went to 12 publishers. All 12 publishers turned it down. Nobody would publish it. It was right after 9-11 where there had been a a terrible act uh, just slammed right into this country by a religion. It happened to be Islam. And so you could have seen where maybe maybe one of these publishers would have said, well, if it was a book that was going to attack Islam, we would see that maybe people would buy it. But 12 publishers said, no, the 13 publishers took it. The 13 publisher took it and published the book. That book was on the New York Times bestseller list for 33 consecutive weeks. And then in that same year, there was another one of these four men. His name is Richard Dawkins, and he wrote a book, The God Delusion. He took everything that he knew about atheism, and he just directed it directly at religion. It was just an attack on religion. And here's what he says in his book, which I think is interesting. If this book works as I intend, which is interesting, right? What are your intentions? What are your intentions for writing this book? He says, if this book works as I intend, religious leaders who open it will be atheists when they put it down. Now listen to me, you can think that's abhorrent. That book sold over 3 million copies and it was translated in about 35 different languages. And then there's a third book by one of these men and that book was called, this is Christopher Hitchens, it's called God is Not Great and the subtitle was How Religion Poisons Everything. How Religion Poisons Everything. And again, I would just tell you this, they weren't specifically uh, singling out Christianity, they just went religion just religion in general. And so because of that, it's created the development of a group that's become fairly significant in the U.S., and this group is now known as the nuns. The nuns. What's really interesting is that usually when you walk away from something, you move away something, you move toward something else. 
And so these four horsemen, these, these, these new atheists, they're called, you, they're just slamming religion, slamming religion. But nobody, and I've never heard anybody talk like this, nobody is saying, you know, I've been studying atheism, and I've really tried to understand it, and I've done a lot of reading, and it just gives me great comfort, and I'm really drawn to it for that because it gives me hope. No one is saying that. They're moving away from religion, but they're now just called the nuns, the nuns. And the nuns are not affiliated. I'm not affiliated with any religion. I'm I'm non-affiliated. That's what this group has become. And what's really interesting is the nuns are saying, hey, we're not hostile toward. We're not hostile toward. We're just not affiliated with. We're moving away from, but we're not really moving toward anything else. And this is religions at large. For instance, if you're Latino, you would know this, right? This is very possibly your heritage. Uh, Latinos in this country, uh, back about 10 years ago, about 67% of Latinos uh, classify as Catholic. Today, only 10 years later, that number is now to 43, right? They're moving away from, but not necessarily toward. Now, I can't speak for other religions. I can't speak for Islam. I can't, although uh, I have a Muslim friend who has said, our children are just not embracing Islam, It's how we grew up. They're not embracing it. I can't speak for those religions. I can't speak for Buddhists. I can't speak for Mormons. I can't speak for Jehovah's Witness. I've been a practicing Christian, a devout practicing Christian, since I was about 16 years old. I'm I'm a professional Christian, you know. This is what I do. And so I can speak with great conviction about Christianity. I can't speak for the other groups. I can speak with great conviction about Christianity. And what I would say about Christianity is that the general rule is when people move away from Christianity, when they move away from the God of the Bible, the Christian Bible, then typically my opinion is this. It's not the message. It's the messenger. I I find that consistently. Like nobody's studying Jesus and just going, man, I was reading about that Jesus. I was looking the way that he cares for the marginalized. I was looking for the way that he really takes care of widows and the poor. I can't stand him. I just can't stand that guy. It's not the message. It's the messenger. And the other thing that I would say is, again, I've said this before, read through the New Testament, in particular, read through the Gospels. Read Matthew, read Mark, read Luke, read John. The stories of Jesus' life Watch them and watch how many times you see the word crowd, a large crowd. And the reason is because people who are nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. It's consistent. It's over and over and over. Everybody loved Jesus. Everybody came to Jesus. The only people who didn't love Jesus were the people who were misrepresenting Judaism at that time and and eventually Christianity. Those are the only people that Jesus had harsh words for. And so... What's happening as people are moving away from God, what oftentimes happens is, one, it's false teachers, it's people like me, it's pastors who get up and we misrepresent God, we miscommunicate the idea. It's people who go to church every Sunday and just miscommunicate the idea of God. We have a misunderstanding of God. We misspeak for God. We misrepresent God, right? But then there's another thing that's very much at work here. Now, this is a... a, I would say famous, it's, it's a well-known quote at least, and, and I don't know who said it because it's attributed to so many different people, but the quote is this, that God created man in his own image, and man, being a gentleman, returned the favor. And I think that's a lot of what's happened. I think we've created our own God. We've created our own God. We go to church, we pick up a Bible, we read a Bible, we don't really read a Bible though, we don't really seek to understand the Bible, and we create this God that we want We create this God that we kind of like. And we say things. We do this all the time. We say things as if they're right out of the Bible. Well, you know what? God will never give you more than you can handle. What God are you talking about? 
God most often gives us beyond what we can handle. That's why we lean on God. You know, people talk about religion as a crutch, and I'm like, fair enough. If you broke your ankle, would you use a crutch? Does a crutch not help you to walk better? Right? We say things like, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Who said that? Who told you that? That's not in the Bible. That's not in anything. What happens is we've created a God in our own minds. And then here's what happens. We start to live life and we apply. We, we look at that God and we live life through the lens of that God. And all of a sudden, when it doesn't add up, when things aren't adding up, now you're ticked at God. Now you walk away from God because you believe in a God that never existed. You believe in a God that never existed. And here's my agenda. We're, this is just a series we're going to use for a couple weeks, and then we're going right back to Romans. But my agenda is this. For one, I want to help us have a proper biblical understanding of God. I want us to work out some of the kinks in our own Christianity, in our own faith, and just go, oh, that has kind of snuck its way in. I kind of, I kind of have been believing that just a little bit. In my just as clear as I can be agenda, this is what I'm really trying to do. I know that there are people who walk in here every week and you used to go to church and you don't go to church anymore. And truth be told, you're not frustrated. You're ticked. You're angry at God. And what I'm saying is I think we've come to believe in a false God. I think there are folks who watch online and you watch online every week. And I've had people tell me this because I get emails. And they say, you know, I used to go to church. I'm ticked at God. I don't go to church anymore. But I kind of tune in. And I'm saying if that's you this morning and you're online, Man, I'm thrilled that you're online. I'm thrilled that you're watching. If you're in the house this morning, I'm thrilled that you're, that you're in the house. If you're online, I'd say the next step is maybe come back and be part of the body of Christ. I'm not saying you have to drop everything and commit everything, and, you know, but I'm saying start the journey back. Start the journey back. And that's my real agenda. That's my real agenda. I'm hoping that some of us will just go, yes, that slipped into my Christianity and it's inappropriate. It's, it's inaccurate. My beliefs about God are false. But my real hope as well is that those of you who have walked away from God, you're shaking your fist and you're angry at God because God didn't live up to your expectations. You'll understand that you weren't worshiping God. You weren't actually worshiping God. So this week, we're going to start with this one. We're going to start with bodyguard God. Bodyguard God is really popular. Bodyguard God is a, is a belief that's out there. It's, it's very common thought for amongst a lot of people. We'll laugh at it, but then we realize, oh, man, snap, that's who I was kind of believing in. I was kind of believing in bodyguard God. And bodyguard God says this. If you're a good person, who's not a good person? Raise your hand. Everybody's a good person. We always say that, you know. When everybody talks about good people, we're always referring to ourselves. If you're a good person and you believe in God, you believe in God, you go to church, you do things like that, right? You serve a little bit. Maybe every once in a while you drop a little money in the bucket. And really bad things won't happen to you or they won't happen to anyone else that would affect you. In other words, no, it didn't happen to me, but it might happen to my wife. That's the same thing. Maybe you've got a child and it happened to your child. Maybe you're a parent and it happened to your parent. Or maybe your parents split. Maybe you lost your job and you were really bummed. You lost your job and it went on for a while and you finally lost your house. Or just things have gone in ruin and they've gone downhill, 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 downhill. See, bodyguard God wouldn't allow that to happen. That's the challenge. Bodyguard God wouldn't happen. Like bodyguard God says this. If you're a good person, you believe in God, you go to church, really bad things won't happen to you or anyone else that would affect you. The question that I have is, who told you that? Who told you that? Because we believe it and we live that way and we're angry when things happen. We, it's as if someone told us that. It's as if we've been told that at church. Or it's as if God said that or God has communicated that to you in some way. And the question I would have is, 
Who really told you that? Now, let me just play out an argument that has never been made. You're like, why are you making an argument that's never been made? I'll show you why. But this is an argument that no one, I've never heard anyone actually make this argument. A good God wouldn't allow bad things to happen to, to good people. Wouldn't allow bad things to happen to good people. But since bad things never happen to good people, there must be a good God. That argument has never been made. It's not an argument made against God. It's not an argument made for God. It's not an argument that's made for the existence of God. That argument has never been made. The problem is when we kind of believe that and then we hold that up against God and then we see that, wait a minute, bad things do happen to good people and now we say there is no God. Now we say I'm, I'm really angry. I'm, and you know, here, here's what I would hope this morning. Some of you are feeling this, and you need to start saying it correctly. I, I remember years ago, I, I went to counseling. That's a shocker to some of you, but I went to counseling, and uh, I said to the counselor, he was talking about this situation, you know, uh, a hardship in life, and he said, well, Neil, tell me how you're feeling. I said, man, Kip, I'm just, I'm really frustrated. He's like, no, no. <laughs> I was like, uh, I pretty much know how I feel. Yes, I'm frustrated. He goes, no, you're not frustrated. You're something else. There's another word, and I was like, I'm frustrated, Kip. And he's like, no, it's not frustrated. It's another word. It starts with an A. I was like, you're right. I'm angry. I'm angry with God. I'm angry. I'm ticked. And this is what happens when we believe in a false God. Because now life is not about so much the circumstances. I've said this a million times. Life is not really about circumstances. Life is about expectations. If your expectations are here and life comes in here, you're ticked. You're not frustrated. You are ticked. Right. This argument has never been made for the existence of God. The problem is when we hold it up against God and then God doesn't meet that, right? Now we're ticked. And now we say we walk away from God. Can I tell you something? If you're here this morning and you say, that would be me, and I've walked away from bodyguard God, can I tell you, I'm thrilled. I'm so excited and I'm so happy that you walked away from bodyguard God. And I'll tell you why. Because bodyguard God does not exist. That is a myth. That is false. And again, the question I would always say is, who told you that? Who told you that? Where, where, where did that thought come from? And so we want, to look at some, we want to look at what the Bible really has to say. And I know you guys will get that up and running in just a second. We want to look at the, what the Bible has to say. What's a biblical perspective? Listen, James chapter 1. This is James, the brother of Jesus. This is James, the brother of Jesus. And James writes in James chapter 1, verse 1. He says, listen to me. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when, now I'm going to stop you right there, because when is an assumptive word. When is assuming something will happen. It's opposed, it's in opposition to the word if. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when trials of many kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. Skip the great joy part right now. Don't get caught up in that. When is assumptive. When tribulations, when trials come your way. It's assuming that you're going to have trials. That's the assumption. Right? Paul goes on and he talks to the church in Rome and Paul tells them when. He uses the word when again. When is an assumptive word. It's assuming. And Paul puts on the end, other end of it trials and tribulations this time. Trials and tribulations are assumptive. You guys are so good up there. This is then Paul writing to the Roman church. We can rejoice too when. When we run into problems and trials. It's a when. Problems and trials are not an if. Problems and trials are, are, are a when. Further, Paul goes on then later to talk to that same church about three chapters later, and he says this. Since we're his children, God's children, since we are God's children, we are God's heirs. Now, just stop for a minute. 
How good does that sound? We're God's children, and we're his heirs. We're the heirs of God. He goes on. In fact, he says, together with Christ, we're heirs of God's glory. Raise your hand if you think that's nice. We're heirs of the glory of God. How many don't want that? That's awesome. Are you kidding me? Okay, buckle up. But you know we're headed the other direction, right? But if we're to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Suffering is a must. Who told you the bodyguard God exists? Who told me that? Where, where did that thought come from? This is a God that we've created in our own mind, right? So here's a million-dollar question. Where do pain and suffering come? That's the question. That's, that's very interesting. Where, where does this come from? Why do we have pain and suffering? If you go to the Scriptures and you look in Genesis chapter 1, it's the creation story. Some of you would know that. It's the creation story. And God is busy at creating. He creates the stars and the land and the sea, and he creates all the animals and the, and the trees. And after God creates everything, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And right at the end of Genesis chapter 1, he creates man. And God doesn't say it's good. He says, it's really good. He says, this is very good. And then he goes into chapter 2, and he magnifying glass, and he blows the whole thing up, and we get a really close insight on the creation of man and the creation of woman. We see how that works. And God continues to say, it was really good. And so when you read Genesis chapter 1 and you read Genesis chapter 2, here's all you know. It's good, and it's really good. We're told that man walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day. How cool would that be? And it was good, and their relationship was just harmonious and perfect, and it was good, right? And in fact, God said to the man, I've put you in dominion. I've put you in control. I've put you in charge of everything. You're in control of all the vegetation. You're in control of the garden. You're in control of all the animals. I've put you over those, and everything is good. Oh, wait. Let me, let me just give you one detail. There's one tree that you can't eat from. It's just one. I've given you everything it's just one that you can't. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's in the center of the garden. And listen to me, and God was very clear. On the day that you eat from that tree, you will surely die. And he wasn't yet talking about physical death, but he was talking about a spiritual death. And the very next verse after that, right, because now you go into chapter 3, and in chapter 3 what happens is sin enters. Sin enters. The serpent is in the garden. The serpent is the devil. And he goes to the woman, and he lures who into it. He says, you won't surely die. God's a petty, jealous God, and God knows that the moment that you eat of that, you're going to be like him, and he's very jealous, and he's very petty. And so she's deceived, and she eats of the fruit, and she gives it to her husband, and he eats of the fruit. And the very next verse, boom, as soon as they sin, as soon as they rebel against God, it says this, at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame. This word shame is the same word as, as they knew. Like they now knew that they had sinned. They now knew sin. They knew what sin was, and they knew it personally. And so here's the deal. You and I are born into a sinful world. There was no, there was no sickness before sin. There was no disease before sin. There was no death. There was no dying. There was no pain. There was no suffering. There was none of that. Sin entered the world because of mankind's choice. Now, you say, well, I wasn't there. But we're children of Adam and Eve. And so we now live in a sinful world. And so guess what? Guess what's a part of life? Suffering, pain, death, dying, trials, tribulations. Those are all just a part of life. That, that, that's a part of it. So, so is that, are we just fatalists then? Are we just to say, well, that's it. Sorry, everybody. Sometimes life sucks and we all need to get over it. Is that what we say? No. 
No. When you get to Genesis chapter 7, God wipes out the earth and you have the flood. When you get to Genesis 12, it's so fun to watch. You see God's redemptive plan begin. God had a plan all along. We know Father Abraham, father of the Jews, father of Arabs, father of Christians. Abraham, had a, his firstborn was Isaac. Isaac then had uh, a son, Jacob. And Jacob then had 12 sons. He had 13 children. He had 12 sons. The second youngest was Joseph. And Joseph was not really liked by his brothers. And so one day he's out in the field, and they're out in the field, and he goes out to them. His own brothers attack him, beat him, throw him into a pit, and they are fixing to kill him. And one of the brothers says, uh, we maybe shouldn't kill him. Uh, let's do this. And a band comes along of Ishmaelites. They're descendants of Ishmael, uh, Abraham's actually first son, and they're headed to Egypt. And they say, yeah, 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 let's sell this brother of ours. Let's sell Joseph to them. He's beat by his brothers, thrown in a pit, sent off to Egypt as a slave. The language here is so very interesting to me. It says, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar. He's now a slave, beaten by his own brothers, thrown into a pit. Now he's a slave. An Egyptian officer, this is Potiphar, and it says this, the Lord was with him. Trials, tribulations, yep, really difficulty. And it says the Lord was with him. And the language here is so significant because he now goes here and he's, he's bought by Potiphar and he's serving in Potiphar's house. And he's minding his own business. He's a follower of the God of heaven now. He's a good man. He's a man of integrity. Potiphar's wife comes on to him and he refuses her advances. And finally, she's so embarrassed by it, she complains to her husband Potiphar and she said, that slave of yours, he's attacked me. Well, Potiphar is enraged, and he throws him in prison. He goes to prison. He wasn't just beaten by his brothers. He wasn't just thrown into a pit. He wasn't just sold into slavery. He didn't, he didn't just go down to Egypt. He wasn't just sold in Potiphar's house. Now he's actually in prison, falsely accused. He goes to prison, and it says this. Potiphar noticed this, that everything went well, and realized that the Lord was with Joseph. Potiphar still knew that, that the Lord was with him. Now he's in prison, and it says, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. I mean, the worst of all worst things are happening to this guy. And here's what we know. Yes, trials happen. Yes, tribulations happen. Yes. And the Lord is with him. And the Lord is with him. And even in prison, the, the warden, he could see it. There's something different. There's something unique about this guy. And everything that he touches turns to good. It's amazing. And so the commentary is this. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything in the prison. In the midst of his trials and tribulations, in the midst of all this difficulty, it says, the Lord was with him. It's the fourth time in that chapter. It's so intentional. When you read chapter 39, it's so intentional. And this was pointed out to me, and I went back and read it and read it and read it and read it four times in the worst times of this guy's life. Some of you are living it right now. You're in the worst time of your life right now, and you need to hear this loud and clear. Listen, listen. I know maybe, maybe this was boring and you fell asleep. That's all right. Just lean forward for one second and listen to me. Right? God is with you. Just listen for a minute. God is with you. You're not alone. And you got a diagnosis, and you wanted to say you're frustrated. You're not frustrated. You're ticked. And you shake in your fist at God, and you're angry, and you're mad. And you said, I'm leaving that God. You left bodyguard God, and I'm thrilled that you did. But you don't have to go through it alone. Because when you walk away from bodyguard God, now you got absolutely nothing. I'm saying 
the God, the God. You left a God. You didn't leave the God. The God of heaven wants to walk with you. He is with you. Listen, think about this. If bad things don't happen to good people, Christianity never gets off the ground. It never gets off the ground. Could you just imagine the disciples? Twelve disciples. We know that the one was the betrayer. That was Judas. He went out and hanged himself because he felt so bad. Now you're down to 11. Out of those 11, 10 of them were murdered for their faith. They were either stoned, they were hung, potentially crucified, right? Don't tell me that bad things don't happen to good people. And furthermore, the best person who ever lived had the worst ending. I love how Paul tells us in Corinthians. He says, God made Christ who what? Never sinned. He's, he's clearly not just man, but he was a man. The best man that ever lived. God made him to be our offering. The word there is sacrifice. God made the best guy who ever walked the planet suffer horrifically for you and me. Peter says this, and I like Peter because Peter was, again, the, the guy who didn't believe and then believed and then disbelieved and then preached powerfully, right? Peter's writing letters to the church, and Peter says this. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. I like that. And then he says, so, so, so by the way, footnote, just, just so you know, so after you've suffered a little while, you were never alone. You're never alone. God will restore you. He'll support you. He'll strengthen you. He'll place you on a firm foundation. That's what the God of heaven does. That, that's what the God of heaven does. Some of you are you're, you're moving away from God. You've walked away from God completely. You've shaken your fist. You left bodyguard God. Everybody else in this building is thrilled. I'm ecstatic that you left bodyguard God. Bodyguard God does not exist. You left a God. You didn't leave the God. Body God God isn't in the Old Testament. He's not in the New Testament. We say he's the God of the No Testament. He does not exist. That God does not exist. Let me give you the big so what. God doesn't always prevent the storm, but he's always present in the storm. I believe this, man. I believe that there are people who walked in the building today, and you just need to hear that. You're ticked. You're angry. You're mad at God. You're not mad at God. You're mad at bodyguard God. The God of heaven is still with you, and you don't have to go through this stuff alone. The God of heaven is still with you. I'll, sh I'll show you this quick. I know we're running late. I'll show you this real quick. Because yesterday I was over here walking through the building, and I came upon a group, and they were meeting. I don't know if you'll be able to get this on a camera, if you'll be able to get this shot real well. Maybe you can zoom in on that. But, but they, were, they were talking, and, and one of them was sharing their story. And we started talking about this very thing. And so she showed this picture. She said, I brought this to show this picture. This is the hand underwater. See, some of you are underwater right now. Because I don't know if you can see this, but there's a boat over here. This is a pictorial of the disciples when they were in the storm with Jesus. You're not alone. You were never alone. You're never going to be alone. The hand of God will always reach down, grab you, support you, put you on a firm foundation. Man, if you left bodyguard God, we're thrilled that you did. And what I would simply say this morning is this. Maybe you're not completely sold. Maybe, you know, would you just lean back in? Would you just, would you just come back in? Would you just move? Leave bodyguard God. Leave that false God. The God of the New Testament. Leave that God. Just begin to lean back in. Maybe you say, maybe I'll start going to church a little bit. Maybe I've got a friend who's experiencing this, and I'll bring them back. Maybe you're online, and you say, man, I, I need to start moving toward God again. Right? 
bodyguard God doesn't exist. Trials and tribulations are a part of life. The God of heaven. The great creator has never left you, has never left you, is always there. Let's pray. Father, this morning we're grateful for your presence in our lives. We're thankful that you're a God who never leaves, that you're a God who's always there. The God in our worst times, when our marriage is split, when our child is sick, when we got a diagnosis, when we've lost our job, God, no matter what's happened, God, you are always there. Here's what I'm asking this morning, Father. Would you reveal yourself to those individuals who are feeling that this morning? Would you make it very real to them? Would you reveal yourself? Would you make your presence in their life known this morning, Father? Would you do that?